This is Morning Edition on NHPR. I'm Rick Ganley, and this is the New Hampshire News Recap. We're getting close to the end of 2022, so today we're reviewing the year's biggest stories. I'm joined by NHPR's energy and environment reporter, Mara Hoplomasian, New Hampshire Bulletin's Anne-Marie Timmons, and Anna Brown, the Director of Research and Analysis at Citizens Count. Thank you all for, for being here today. Happy Friday. Thanks for having us, Rick. Thank you. And, and a happy new year as we get close to the end of the month here. Okay, Anna, let's start with you. The Democratic National Committee is demanding that New Hampshire no longer go first in the next presidential primary. New Hampshire political leaders say they won't comply. This is not the first time the state has defended its first-to-the-nation status, of course. But what's different this time around? Well, as far as I know, this is the first time a sitting president has called for replacing the New Hampshire primary, along with other major players in the Democratic Party. In the past, I think a lot of that hesitance was about angering New Hampshire voters if we did still end up going first. But President Biden recognizes that ship has sailed. He didn't even stay through the end of primary night last time around. Um, so that's a factor. Overall, times have changed as well because we're running national campaigns with news media, social media. So that one-to-one -one contact in New Hampshire doesn't have as much power as it used to. And more sensitive to racial justice now. You know, people are more sensitive to the fact that we are a very white state compared to the country overall. So what's going to happen next, Anna? I mean, the fight is obviously going to continue. So any proposal still has to be approved by the DNC next year. So we're in a little bit of limbo. We could still end up going first as New Hampshire for the Democrats because law says we have to go first, so we will go first, but they could essentially punish us by not really recognizing our votes, giving them as much weight, or even penalizing candidates who show up here. I do want to point out, though, Republicans are not talking about moving us. And typically, when a sitting president is in office, you wouldn't expect them to have the exciting primary anyway. So we'll still be getting plenty of Republican primary action in New Hampshire. Okay, so stay tuned. Uh, things are still going to happen. Absolutely. It will not be boring, I promise. <laughs> we saw some competitive races right here in New Hampshire in the run-up to the midterms uh, this fall. Governor Sununu was reelected, and Republicans held on to their majority in both the New Hampshire Senate and House, though in the House it is a very slim majority. It is close to evenly divided among Republicans and Democrats. Democrats there now. What are you keeping an eye on as we head into this next legislative session, Anna? I think the first policy issue that everyone's going to be watching is marijuana legalization. We have leadership from both parties in the House sponsoring a bill. And for the first time in the Senate, we have a shakeup that shows maybe some state senators can get on board. Senator Daryl Abbas sponsored one of the marijuana legalization bills last year. So it's really going to come down to Governor Sununu, I think, but it will also be a good test of how the two parties can work together. Otherwise, a lot of policy and budgeting decisions will probably end up in the Senate since the House is so really close. So Jeb Bradley, the Senate president, elected unanimously by his peers, has said he's going to focus on energy costs, housing. And then when it comes to the budget, I'll be looking, are they going to change the gas tax? Are they going to change business taxes? Okay, we'll be watching for that. Anne-Marie, one of the biggest stories of the year is the U.S. Supreme Court's overturning of Roe v. Wade. How did abortion laws change here in New Hampshire in 2022? So it didn't change any laws here. The overturning of Roe v. Wade alarmed abortion rights advocates for sure, but it had no effect. We didn't have a trigger um, ban in place. The only change we saw was legislative. The House and Senate agreed and the governor signed a bill that will add an exception to our 24-week ban for fetus that won't survive after being born. And the executive council rejected funding for family planning centers and, and sex education programs this year on multiple occasions. Anne-Marie, tell us more about what happened there. I think this is maybe where we saw Roe v. Wade and the national tension on abortion really play out. 
one surprised me, one did not. The family planning money that's been challenged before, that funds basic reproductive rights care for low-income, uninsured, underinsured people in the state. It does not pay for abortions. The state has done audits. The attorney general's office affirmed those audits and said, this money is not funding abortions. But the Republicans on the council weren't convinced, and so that defeated that money. And that has come up before. The second one was a surprise. This is a sex ed program that's not the school program. It's outside of that. It's very targeted for Manchester and Sullivan County, which have much, much higher teen birth rates than the state average. It's mostly after school. It's been in their place for 10 years. Every counselor that voted against it this time has voted for it in the past. And that really was a parental rights issue and an abortion issue. They heard from a lot of people who felt that the material was too advanced for middle schoolers, although we haven't seen what the material is exactly. They're unhappy with the definition of abstinence. And although parents have to give their child permission to enroll, there is a confidentiality, as there often is with counseling relationships, that anything that's said in that won't be shared. And they're really uncomfortable with that. And so those were the three things they cited just to get rid of that money. And what are sources telling you about the consequences that have been or could be without this funding? There's really two big ones, and it's access to health care in both ways. I think the family planning money That served about 17,000 people in the state. So without that money, clinics will have to charge more for birth control, may not be able to do free STI testing or cancer screening. So there'll be an increased cost. So far, they say they're holding on, but they're worried about it going forward. And the sex education program, they're really worried that without that, they will start seeing the teen pregnancy rates start creeping up again in those two areas of the state. As we head into this new year, in this next legislative session, what are you keeping an eye on, Anne-Marie? What are the policy proposals, the initiatives that that you're following? Abortion, I think, and reproductive rights will definitely be a big one. We'll see legislation that wants to tighten restrictions, um, even ban abortions at six weeks or so. We will see an effort to repeal the law altogether. Um, The governor has said that if a law passed that would you know, enshrine reproductive rights in the state constitution, he would sign that. So that will be a topic. You know, as Anna said, it's all going to come down to who shows up on any given voting day. That's probably the primary thing I'll watch. Also, just funding, what happens with DHHS? They're always under scrutiny for their funding. There's tied up in that a concern that, you know, they have too much authority in a public health scare. And so that I think that will be tied into what kind of funding they see. So that's another issue I'll be watching. This is Morning Edition on NHPR. We are reviewing the news of the year with Anna Brown from Citizens Count, New Hampshire Bulletin reporter Anne-Marie Timmons, and NHPR reporter Mara Hoplamazian. So what stories define 2022 for you? Please let us know your thoughts and your questions. You can send us an email anytime to voices at nhpr.org and help inform our reporting. Okay, Mara, let me turn to you. Uh, We saw electricity rates spike in New Hampshire this year. What are some of the factors that have led to those rising energy costs? Well, the war in Ukraine is a big one. Although energy prices had been going up for a while, Russia's invasion of Ukraine in February changed a lot for the world of energy, especially for natural gas and oil. It created a lot of volatility in the price of those fuels. And New England is particularly dependent on natural gas. It accounts for about half of the fuel that we use to make our electricity, which is more than the national average. 
To make matters worse, New England also pays a lot for natural gas because it's hard to get it into the region. We don't sit on top of any fossil fuel reserves and we're at the end of the pipeline system. So we import liquefied natural gas to make up any shortfalls we have. But U.S. suppliers of liquefied natural gas have been scrambling to help European countries that are also having a hard time getting gas, which has also contributed to those higher prices that we're seeing here. And obviously winter is here, as we know this morning. Uh, People need to heat their homes. Is there any assistance still available for people that are struggling with their bills? Yes, for sure. There's community action agencies. They're broken out by county. And Granite Staters can get in touch with their local agency to get signed up for that energy assistance. The main program is called LIHEAP. That's federally funded. It can be used to help with any kind of energy bill. So whether you're heating with fuel oil or wood or electricity, gas, propane, that's available to folks who are making under 60% of the statewide median income. There's also a new state-run program for residents making up to 75% of statewide median income. That can also help with heating and electricity bills. Applications also go through those community action agencies um, for that program. Utility companies also have programs to help people pay their bills, and local nonprofits sometimes also have funding, pots of funding to help. Another thing that can really help is weatherization. Basically, that's making your home more insulated from the cold. And Granite Staters can sign up for that through their community action agency, too. What are your sources telling you, Mara, about what this winter might look like for energy producers and the power grid? We've heard some worries about that. What can listeners expect to see this winter? The grid operator says New England's power grid will be reliable this winter under mild or moderate weather conditions, but um, a long cold snap could cause some issues. They could ask the public to voluntarily conserve energy, you know, like turn off the lights, don't run the washing machine right now, unplug the coffee pot, or ask for more fuel deliveries. But they say they're not anticipating any rolling blackouts this winter. The president of the New England Power Generators Association told me this is the most uncertain geopolitical situation for energy in the past two or three decades. Price volatility is still pinching the supply of stored fuels that can help back up our system, like liquefied natural gas and oil. And there's less liquefied natural gas available to meet demand, and the owners of power plants and heating companies are having to make bigger bets on oil when they buy it. In terms of prices, um, Eversource just announced to move to lower their rates slightly for residential rate payers, but they said that's more due to the lucky timing of their auction that they used to buy power, um, not a sign that the markets are improving. What about the legislative session that's upcoming, Maura? What regional energy initiatives and or policies are, are you looking at as, as we get into that next session? Well, I'll be really paying attention to how leaders are, are addressing the, the high energy costs that we're seeing, You know, what kinds of solutions they're proposing. I have my eyes on some electric vehicle policy moves, especially a couple of bills that focus on renters and folks in workforce housing having access to, to EV chargers. Biomass in New Hampshire has been a big focus from some lawmakers, so I'll be paying attention to that. And then we'll see if this is the year for this long-running effort to establish greenhouse gas emissions reduction goals for the state and institute a climate action plan. Okay. Thanks, Mara. So I wanted to close this conversation with some reflection from all of you as, as we get to the end of 2022. First up, how would you describe 2022 in one sentence? Let's start with you, Anna. Credit to my coworker, Michael, for saying this a few months ago. It may not technically be a recession, but this economy just hits different. Okay, there you go. I guess it's all about feeling there, right? How about you, Anne-Marie? I think the fall of Roe v. Wade was a win for both sides of the debate, both those folks who oppose it, but also people who wanted Democrats to increase in their numbers in the state house, and they were successful on voting on that issue. Okay, I said one sentence, though, Emory. There was a <laughs> comma in there. Oh, okay. All right. He qualified it with a comma. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, Mara, how about you? One sentence, uh, 2022. Rick, I'm going to make a bad energy pun. 
I, you know I love puns. Go for it. The price increases were shocking. <laughs> Thanks for laughing. That That's good. Really nice. That's good. No, I, I love it. Thank you very much for that. Lastly, for all three of you, what brought you some joy this year? How about, uh, let's start with you, Anna. I discovered Clem's Donuts in Wyndham. It's a total free advertisement right now because their donuts are life-changing. Really? Okay. <laughs> really. All right. Every every day? Oh, I can't drive that far every day. I live in Manchester, but uh, probably but like every it. other week, I will I will drive to Clem's for okay. donuts. There's a donut plug right there. How about you, Emery? I have another promo for the State House Cafeteria. I love <laughs> the grilled cheese. I'm so glad to be back there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if it brings you joy, you know what I mean. How about you, Mara? I think it was the people I met. I got to do some really fun stories about odd jobs. I followed around a woman who catches mosquitoes for the city of Manchester. Last week, I got to shadow a chimney sweep. But my favorite was going up in a tiny airplane with a couple of foresters to look at bug damage from the sky. That's exciting. Yeah, it was great. That's excellent. Okay, I, for me, I will say that um, what's brought me some joy this year is the people I work with, in particular, Mary McIntyre, our executive producer for Morning Edition, and our brand new Morning Edition producer, Jackie Harris. She's wonderful. They're all wonderful. So that's what brought me joy this year. I want to thank NHPR reporter Mara Hoplamazian and the New Hampshire Bulletin's Emery Timmons and Anna Brown, Director of Research and Analysis at Citizens Count, all in the room with me today. Thank you all for, for coming in for the recap. Thank Thanks you. Thank and you. For, for all of your work throughout the year, and, and we hope to, to talk to you again as we get through 2023. You can find more of Anne Marie's reporting at NewHampshireBulletin.com and Anna Brown's analysis at CitizensCount.org. And you can find all the stories we talked about this morning and more on our website. It's NHPR.org. The recap is taking a break during the holidays, but we'll be back on Friday, January 6th. In the meantime, happy holidays from all of us here in the NHPR newsroom. And you're listening to Morning Edition from New Hampshire Public Radio.